Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice. This week, I'm going to talk about the newest developments in the All-Star Game relocation, and I have a special guest to explain the new Georgia voter laws. Today, we also have an interview with Tommy Talbot. He's a freshman outfielder for the Stockton Ospreys of the NJAC in Galloway, New Jersey. He's here to talk about his baseball journey and offer some advice to prospective college baseball players. And to end the show, I'm going to talk about a player who finally got his chance in the big leagues, and boy, has he made the most of it. All right, so let's get into it. So the All-Star Game originally in 2021 was supposed to be in Atlanta, Georgia. So after Hank Aaron's passing, it was supposed to honor him. And recently, you know, the MLB voted to move the All-Star Game from Atlanta to Colorado last Friday. So I tried to understand the Georgia voter laws. Politics isn't exactly my strong suit. I've been trying to get more educated as I have come of age, and I'm now eligible to vote. And a bunch of new political things arose over the past year, as you guys may know. But I just didn't get it. I didn't really understand the law. I was looking at the law, and I was like, you need an ID to buy alcohol. You need an ID to drive. Why wouldn't you need one to vote? And I just didn't get it. I read a bunch of articles. I still couldn't wrap my head around the fact that you don't need an ID to vote. And I decided to call in one of my high school friends and have him try to explain it to me. His name is Ethan Block. Ethan is a political science and public policy major at Rutgers University. He's one of the most knowledgeable people I know about these types of issues. And I figured he could help explain it. Basically, if you want to understand this law, you kind of have to go back to the 2020 election. So Prior to 2020, Democrats had not won Georgia in a presidential election since Bill Clinton in 1992. Um, going into 2020, there was a lot of excitement surrounding Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams, the 2018 candidate for governor there, um, had been organizing voters, specifically voters of color in the Atlanta metro area um, to get out the vote for whoever the presidential candidate was going to be in 2020. In this case, it was Joe Biden, obviously. So going into 2020, Democrats were really excited about Georgia, and they ended up winning for the first time in almost 30 years, not just uh, the presidential election, but both Senate elections. So if you're a Democrat in Georgia, you're really excited. You think you can win more elections. If you're a Republican, you're probably really scared, specifically if you're uh, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, who was up for re-election in 2022. So if Democrats can win three uh, statewide seats in 2020, they can probably unseat you a couple years later. So Republicans in Georgia get together and they pass this voting bill. Um, a few of the provisions in the bill, uh, you can't, you don't automatically get a mail-in ballot. You have to request it. Um, the voter ID laws, which you mentioned, uh, basically requiring an ID to vote, uh, limiting ballot drop boxes, one per 100,000 voters, um, shortening the early voting period for runoff elections, and then the big one, which got everyone riled up, was the uh, food and water ban for people waiting in line. Basically, voter ID is it's in theory, it makes sense. You know, you 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 like you said, like you need an ID to buy liquor. Uh, you need not you need a license to drive. Why not a license to vote? Um, and basically, the problem that a lot of people have with voter ID laws is that even if most people do have IDs not everyone has an ID, even though everyone who's over 18 and is a citizen can vote. So basically if you, and, and IDs, they cost money. So if, if there's any boundary to voting, 
um, then it becomes a problem. And even if it is like only a handful of people that might not be able to vote because they can't afford an ID, they can't get their hands on one in time for the election, it still becomes a boundary. It still becomes a problem for some people. Uh, so that's the problem with voter ID laws. And then the food and water ban, um, which became like the big uh, talking point for a lot of Democrats who opposed the bill. Uh, Republicans justified it saying that it was basically preventing outside groups from influencing voters waiting in line, which do doesn't really add up in practice. And if you saw in 2018 and 2020, uh, the footage of largely voters of color waiting in line for hours and hours and hours um, in the hot Georgia sun waiting to vote, um, there was a source of a lot of outrage. So uh, making it illegal for people to uh, get food and water while in line uh, became a serious problem. And it was very clearly a way to deter people from turning out to vote um, in Georgia. So the response to this was, obviously you saw it like across the country, a lot of people were upset about it. And then companies started speaking out about it. Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, UPS, and then the MLB, they decided to uh, pull out of Atlanta for the All-Star game. So there was a, a lot of backlash to this. Personally, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's some people like standing up to this. And Joe Biden, of course, uh, President Biden saying it's Jim Crow in the 21st century. Uh, definitely a lot of people showing up and uh, making sure that this this doesn't really slide. Ethan's explanation really helped me come to a better understanding about MLB's decision. I was originally pissed off because the MLB was supposed to honor Hank Aaron, and he played in Atlanta for the Braves for a number of years. Honestly, I wouldn't have been this angry if they decided to move it to Milwaukee because that's where Hank Aaron spent the first 12 years of his career. He spent them with the Milwaukee Braves before they moved to Atlanta. And he's also spent his final two seasons as a Milwaukee Brewer. And the move to Colorado is really dumb, in my opinion. And obviously, Rob Manfred, this is why everybody wants you fired. I will say that a good platform to protest the law would have been Atlanta. But ultimately, not to even play the game, there was a solid move. Considering those new voting laws and how other businesses like Coke and Delta Airlines have reacted to these laws. Now it's time for our guest to join the show. He's a freshman outfielder for the Stockton Ospreys baseball team of the NJAC in Galloway, New Jersey. He was a three-year starter for the Howell Rebels. As a junior, he was selected to the first team All-A North and the second team All-Short Conference. He was also the 2019 A North Hitter of the Year, a one-time Short Conference Player of the Week, and the number six ranked outfielder in the Short Conference before he graduated in 2020. Tommy Talbot, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you doing, Tommy? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on, my dude. You're welcome, bud. All right, let's get right into the first question. I ask everybody I interview this, I want you to give me a scouting report on yourself. A uh, scouting report on myself would be on the offensive side, I'm a contact hitter. Um, don't strike out a lot. Uh, I like to put the ball on the ground so I can get – so I can leg out singles. Um, I'm gap-to-gap hitter. I don't hit for a ton of power, but um, since my senior year in high school, I've been putting on more muscle. So hopefully this season the power numbers go up a little bit more, but that's the overall scouting report of myself. What do you think sets you apart from other outfielders? I think – the way I take routes to the ball. Um, I have a pretty good understanding of situations. I feel like when there's a tough play to be made, I usually make the play. Uh, my arm strength 
isn't usually as good as everybody else's, but I can get to balls a lot quicker than people can. So that's probably what got me to play in college as an outfielder. How do you work on that? How do you work on taking better routes to balls? It depends. It, it depends on what side, what like position you play in the outfield. So I'm, I'm a center fielder in college, and I always just think about angles. Like if I if I see the balls hit hard off the bat, I know how to take an angle towards right center field, left center field. But one big tip of advice that I got from coach me and Johnny both had Skip was use the brim of your hat to judge angles and judge how far back a ball is going to be or if you have to come in on it. So it's all about just a feel of where you are in the field and how hard the ball is being hit at you. Take me through your pregame routine. Like how does, what do you do to get ready for every game? I, I don't really do much, anything crazy. I usually like say we have an 1130 start. I'll be at the field by about 930. I'll wake up around 830, shower, take a little thing, take a little, take a little um, time to get myself together, get my head right. And on the way to the field, usually listen to some music. Then once I get to the field, it's all natural. Go through my routine of BP, throwing, stretching, and then just getting ready to play with my guys. And that's, that's the beauty of it, being with all the people that you want to be with when you're playing. Do you have any superstitions that you, like, you need to do something before every game or like before in a bat or something? Um, not necessarily before every game. Uh, I try to keep what I eat in the morning the same before a game. I'm really, I don't eat a lot in the morning, so it's either like a bit, some sort of fruit. But, um, before an at-bat, uh, I always have to undo my batting gloves. And then once I'm in the box, I always go left corner, uh, inner corner, and then I hit my shoe with my bat for some reason. I don't know why I do it, but it's just been a thing I've always done. And also, people think this is weird. I don't know if you think it's weird, but the way I hold my bat is kind of weird. We might have talked talk about this before. So if I'm holding a bat, I have my pinky off the knob of the bat. And, like, it's about around the bottom. And I don't know what it is. I, don't, I, I never thought it was weird until I saw everybody else never hold a bat like that. So who was your favorite player growing up? My favorite player growing up was David Wright. I'm a Mets fan, so I wore number five until I got to like middle school. I wore number five. And then my favorite player now, kind of um, kind of weird because I'm a Mets fan, but my favorite player now is Bryce Harper. And he was he was on the Nats and now he's on the Phillies, so it's 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 like a not in my best interest to like Bryce Harper, but I just think that guy's a stud. So, do you ever like model your game after any of those guys? No, not necessarily. I I don't really even know. Like, it's my game is like just like I'm not always gonna be the most talented guy, but like just the way I carry myself and the way I play the game is what kind of sets not sets me apart but gets me to those guys who have that talent um I wouldn't necessarily say I model my game off of anybody I model my base my base running off of um I don't know if you probably remember Jose Reyes yep 
that when I when I was like learning different ways and different strategies to steal more bases, I'd really like watch the videos on how Jose Rice would steal bags and like what counts he would go in, what pitches he would want to run on. So that's that's one way I modeled my game after somebody. What's one thing that you've been trying really hard to improve on? Mm. Well, one thing that I've been trying to like improve on the most is my strength because when I was a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, I was like five, nine, 155 pounds. So like in a sense that helped because I could get down the baseline really fast and steal a lot of bases. But when you get to the next level in college, it's more you need to be physically like with everybody else because if you're not physically with everybody else it, there's a separation when you're 18 years old playing with 22 year olds those they're men and they're good, they're stronger naturally than you are so anyway you have to build yourself up to at least be able to compete physically what kind of adjustments do you make during games or like things that you pick up as the game moves along um well, most mostly on the offensive side. Um, depending, like when I played summer ball with Niners, obviously, and we were facing some guys that were could throw the ball really well, and the ball moved all different ways. So, the first at bat is always like a feel at bat for me. Like, I want to work a count. I want to get into a two-two, three-two count. Um, the result is the re- whatever the result is. Like, I'm gonna build off that at bat. Um, I mostly bat lead off or I bat lower in the order. It just for the way I run. So if I'm the lead off hitter, I'm trying to work in that bat, start the game off for my teammates and for myself so I can get a look on what everything this guy's got. Um, but as the game goes on, like pitching is the biggest thing that like you have to make adjustments on and like pitches to look at, sitting on a speed and not a spot, like things like that. And on the bases, pitchers tend to fall into patterns. So it's things you have to pick up on like that. It's like the game inside the game that you have to focus on. But besides that, in the outfield, you make adjustments in the first inning or even in IO when the the wind, the way the field's playing. So the outfield, there's not many adjustments, but mostly in the batter's boxes where a lot of the adjustments come. What's one mistake that you think a lot of baseball players make that is honestly an easy fix? That's easy. I think I think people take the game too serious. I mean, I know I think that's a mistake in my book because it's a game. It's a game that we all grew up on and had fun with. So if you take the fun out of baseball, there there's no sense of playing it. So I I mean, I feel like I often find myself getting be taking it too serious and then when you take it too serious you can't improve on yourself you can't improve on your game um and i mean obviously there's things that like little mistakes hitting little mistakes here there that like you can fix and like work on but if your approach to the game is wrong and your approach to the game is too serious then you lose the whole sense of playing baseball so other than exposure, what do you feel that the Niners offered you that a high school team or a town team couldn't? I think that 
honestly my biggest takeaway from the Niners besides from being able to play with like kids going to high division one schools is the coaching because there's no guys on here that will like uh, in that they'll they'll give it to you they'll they'll rail you on a lot of things and nail you to that but at the end of the day those coaches they'll have your back over anything and you can go to them with anything you need but I think the biggest takeaway from the Niners program and getting you ready for college is that once you do something wrong, you're going to get coached and you're going to get told what you did wrong. But if there's a situation where you need somebody to have your back, you'll know that every coach there, you can go to them and they'll help you with whatever. It doesn't even have to be baseball related. They'll just text you and see how you're doing. I agree with that because I remember something that Coach Galante always said. He said, um, if we're not yelling at you, we don't care anymore. Yeah, that's a big thing. That's always something yeah. I took away. When I, they would yell at me for doing something wrong. It means that they just want me to succeed. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was with Skip. I think I was with Skip almost all my years. Um, and then the last, uh, last year or two, I was with Coach Maida and Tip and every, a couple different coaches, but the things I took away with Skip was that, like, Skip was a guy that is going to ride you on, like, until you play your best. And because he, he sees the potential in kids and he knows where you should be. And once you get there, when you mess up, he holds you to a different level of, like, responsibility in a way. But at the same time, if you're struggling and you find, like, you finally get a knock, He'll he'll be the first guy to pat you on the back. So, what's your mindset when you step into the batter's box? My mindset is like, I don't even look at like who the pitcher is. My mindset is like, I have a job that I have to do, and when I'm thinking like this is a game, I need to beat this person like that's the one time in baseball where it's it's a individual game when it's a, the batter versus the pitcher that's the time where it's individual and you're like I gotta beat this guy but most of my mentality is like get on him early it's the same mentality mentality a pitcher has on a batter like get on him early because in my head the best pitches you're going to see in an at-bat or either the first, second, or third pitch, depending on how the at-bat goes. So at my my mentality is early and often. Um, as a leadoff hitter, sometimes like in your first at-bat, like I said, you have to work and work account a little more than you're kind of in fight mode just to get people to see, um, see pitches and things like that. But my mentality is like this is me versus him, and like I'm going to come on top and look early and often. What is the most valuable piece of information that you've ever received from a coach or a former teammate? This is um from my, like, when I was younger. Not, you know, like, 12, 13, I was on, like, a talent travel team. It was probably one of my favorite teams I've ever been a part of. We were the Howell Fury. And our coach was one of my friend's dad, but he was honestly probably one of the best coaches I had. Um, he always used to tell me, he was like, when he saw I was trying to do too much, he would always just say, just be Tommy. And, like, I don't know what that did to my head, but, like, it calmed me down. And, like, 
even like I catch myself saying now, like if I'm in an at bat or I'm in something where I know I'm trying to do too much, like in my head, I just have him telling me just be Tommy and it relaxes me. And like, I know, like I I'm confident in what I'm doing. So like, just be myself and the rest will take care of itself. What's your role on the team this year for Stockton? And how do you hope to see it change or evolve as your collegiate career progresses? Um, well, my role right now, I mean, I've been, I've been on the uh, DL for the last about a month de- dealing with the hamstring uh, issue. But um, my role on the team right now is like, right now I'm just the fresh, like a freshman that is coming to like be a part and like create a culture because we're this is the first couple of years where we as a team are building something big and there's a the fresh the center fielder right now his name is Marco Maleo and um, right now my role is pretty much learning everything I can from him and learning everything I can about um, like college baseball on a whole and really just getting ready for the years where like I'm going to be a leader on the team I'm going to be like the guy people look to and I hope that that comes in my upperclassmen years but right now it's just about getting experience and even when I'm hurt trying to learn things about the game so when I come back I can help out in any way I can. What would you say that you've seen is the biggest difference between high school and college baseball so far? Biggest difference for sure is the like dedication that you have to have. Like in high school, you would go to practice after school for two hours and then you would be on your day and everything else. Like you didn't really think about it after, but for in college, you have we couldn't do 6 a.m. lifts because of COVID, but we have normally it would be a 6 a.m. lift class practice after practice around 2 30 around there until five so you have to be able to balance your day because you go from from lifts to class to practice homework and that's your day like that it, it takes out the whole day but you have to find that balance and finding the balance is the hardest thing you have to do because high school work mattered but you had all day to do your homework or where in college you have like this amount of time to do your work, this amount of time to study and grades, grades matter a lot in college where in high school, they matter to get into college, but didn't really necessarily matter for you to your eligibility wise. So that would, that's what I would say time management and having to get yourself in a schedule. What would you say is the coolest thing you've ever done on a baseball field? I mean, I got, I got two that come to mind, both in high school. So my favorite moment in, like, my baseball career so far. Well, I mean, I won my – in Cooperstown when I was 12, I won the road runner, which was pretty cool. But um, my coolest moment in high school was uh, we were playing Colts Neck. It was four to two, at the bottom of the sixth. And I was struggling at this point because I was a sophomore. And uh, there's two runners on. I got into a 2-2 count, and for some reason, the kid threw me a fastball, and I had a home run to take the lead in the game, and then we went 1-2-3 in the next inning, and uh, that, was, that, was, that was it. That was uh, 
history. But one of one of the funny moments is uh, so my freshman year we're playing freshman baseball. So in my head, we were down by two, and it was the bottom of the sixth. So I came up to bat, and there was um, a runner on two run, whatever it was. But I came up, and it was bottom of the seventh, two outs, two two count. And I hit a home run to tie the game. And I came into the dugout and I thought it was the bottom of the sixth. So like I wasn't I was like, yeah, I hit a home run. That's cool. I tied the game, but I didn't know that it was two outs, two strikes. And if I struck out, the game would have been over. So that's one that's one funny thing. But probably the first one is my best moment on the baseball field. Is there one person that comes to mind when you think about who influenced you in the baseball player that you ultimately became? Um, probably my, probably my dad been he like, he's been with me since like, I started point, like hitting wiffle balls in my backyard when I was like three years old. So he, he helped me become like who the player that I want to be. And I wanted to be, and also like the man I am today is the same as the player I am today. Like, so I, I have to give credit to him. What's one word of advice that you would give to a prospective college baseball player? Um, yeah, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, like, don't take the game too serious. Um, kind of the same words of advice, like, you're going to, like, if you're good enough to play in college, you're going to play in college. Like, you, like, if you choose not to, that's a different story. But, like, if you want to play in college, you'll play. Like, don't stress out like your sophomore year summer ball don't stress out about that like play, just play your game and everything is going to fall into place like that's what I try to tell kids that like come to me about recruitment and they do it like I played basketball in high school too like kids who are trying to play basketball in college I tell them like relax like you're going to be fine but like I know kids who played baseball on all sides like of the spectrum like kids that are going d1 kids like me who are division three baseball players but like you're still making that next step and then kids who could have played college baseball but decided not to like there's so many like avenues you could take that you don't need to focus so hard on it stress yourself out about it where you should just be enjoying the game and enjoying the game you love and no matter where what happens like let those chips fall where they lie all right, last question here. What do you love most about baseball? Honestly, the thing that I like, that, like, I, like, will always, like, never take for granted is the relationships you gain from baseball. Like, I think some of my, my – one of my best friends, like, outside of baseball, just in life in general, I was – my teammates since I was six, seven years old. And I would I wouldn't have met them until I guess like school or whatever. But um definitely the relationships. Like I have relationships with coaches that I wouldn't have had if I didn't play baseball. Obviously I've me and you as friends, like we wouldn't have been friends if it wasn't for baseball. So like I just think the relationships that you make, like relationships take you places in life. And if somebody has a good word about you, it can help you get somewhere. So I just think 
like being friendly and being a good person to gain relationships in the game of baseball will help you succeed in life. So that's just my takeaway from it. I mean, it helps you with everything, but mostly relationships and friendships. Well, Tommy, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this for me. I hope you get better soon. Hope we see you back out on the field this summer and maybe even later this spring. Thank you, brother. Finally, I'm going to talk about this week's Player of the Week. Yermin Mercedes was born on February 14, 1993 in La Ramona, Dominican Republic. As an 18-year-old, he was signed out of the DR as a catcher by the Washington Nationals. He spent three years in the national system before being released. He spent a year playing independently baseball, and in 2015, he was back in a major league organization with the Baltimore Orioles. After spending three seasons there, the Chicago White Sox selected him in the Rule 5 draft. On August 1st, 2020, Mercedes was finally able to make his major league debut. He grounded out in his only at-bat, but he would get a better chance the following season. Jeremy Mercedes started 2021 guns a blazing. The only reason he made the opening day roster is because Eloy Jimenez, one of the White Sox young talents, suffered a pectoral injury in one of the final spring training games. Mercedes would make the most of his second chance in the bigs. On opening day, he went five for five against the Angels. He was the first rookie in White Sox history to record five hits in his very first start. Mercedes wasn't done yet. In the very next game, he got three more hits, putting his total at eight for eight. On April 5th, he was named AL Player of the Week. I love stories like this. Mercedes spent 10 years waiting for his chance, and when he got it, he made damn sure it wasn't wasted. All right, everyone, that'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Thursday. I love doing this. I hope you all continue listening so I can keep doing it. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A-12. I'd like to thank Tommy Talbot and Ethan Block for taking the time to join me this week. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. One more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice, and this has been The Hot Spice Show. Peace, bros.